Hey everyone, it's Danny. Hey, it's Drew. And welcome to Strange, Strange Little, Little Worlds. So, you know, I understand that it's a nice Saturday out there, but we're going to be uh, heading to Long Island, so don't Or wor- wherever it is that you're listening to this. A true story. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be heading to Long Island, so don't worry. Upon listening to this, you don't need to pay the fare across the uh, bridge, but just in case, it's going uh, to be about uh, 580. Um, As of the... Filming of this episode. Exactly. <laughs> and um, so so where where are you headed today? Um, we are going to Long Island, mm-hmm. and we're going to be visiting a serial killer by the name of Joel David Rifkin. Mm. And I will be heading to Kachog for discussing the events of the massacre and later on haunting of the Wickham House. Mm. So I wouldn't recommend uh, going to any open houses in Long Island. There's like a 25% chance, you know, things may have gone down. (laughs) But then again, since Long Island is one gigantic highway, eh, you could do worse. Eh. Yeah. Could could be worse. Could be worse. So this is is our first time doing this. So this is very nice. Day one. I know. Take one. We haven't. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, so do you want to go first? Um, you know, whatever works. I mean, you know, I'm a Libra, so I'm indecisive. So, I, you know, whatever works best for you. Why you got to bring astrology into this? <laughs> just, I don't know, because we're already talking about murder and supernatural. So I figured the stars isn't too much of a stretch. Okay, well, in case anyone's interested, I'm a Cancer, so I guess I'm homey. You are. I... You're very. You know, this is a very homey environment here you know i wish you guys could see where we're recording it's, i wish you don't <laughs> it's this is about as shoestring budget as it can get um but uh whatever Can't get any worse than this yeah but um I'll, you know i'll i'll start i guess if, if, yeah i think we should start with a nice haunting and then we'll end with murder yes so when people ask how was your saturday morning i was like well here we go so my case uh Starts off in the Wickham House, which is in Kachog, oh. Long Island. It was a house built in the 1700s by uh, an ancestor by the name of Joseph Wickham, whose family lived at the house on top of Wickham Creek, which is at the end of a lane that runs south from Main Road, in case any of you enthusiasts actually want to prove that we're not BSing this <laughs> and talking about fictional places. We know where it's at. <laughs> we know. So, essentially, the time... That we're going back to, a little time traveler, sir. Uh, it's 1854. And the main focus is we have a guy whose name is James Wickham. He lives with his wife, Frances. They have no kids, mm. you know, but they employ a couple of house staff and few people work in the field. And the important member of their staff is a woman whose name was Ellen Holland. Mm. Now, she was born in uh, County Monaghan. Which is in Ireland, and she was this this time. She was part of the wave of the Irish, who were fleeing, you know, the English occupation of Ireland, as well as the crippling potato famine, which uh, a lot of people. Blamed. So she's an immigrant, right? So, so a lot of people blame. She's the OG immigrant, y'all. True story. <laughs> so a lot of people blame the British for the potato famine. So you have a lot uh, of people immigrating over who are having trouble finding work, mm-hmm. and also have this real dislike for the British, which a lot of people, especially the rich elite were Protestant British aristocrats. Uh, So you have these people from these wealthy families coming over. So you have, it's just a melting pot 
of, of uh, anger, prejudice and anger just bubbling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so point being is you have this really nice uh, Irish maid. She gets to New York, to the New York Department I mean, of Labor. Do we know that she's nice, though? I mean, supposedly. <laughs> so kidding, kidding. she's able to go to uh, the New York Department of Labor. She heads to she heads to this farm. She finds work there. Fine. And then, you know. And are the Wickhams upper middle? Yeah, I would say. English. Yeah, I would definitely say Protestant. Okay. You know, very, okay. you know, upper class. I mean, so we have then our, I guess I would say our antagonist mm-hmm. comes in. His name is uh, Nicholas Behan. Mm-hmm. So he's another Irish immigrant. He's working as a field hand. He was described um, as a gentleman, six feet in height, broad shoulders, black eyes, and black hair inclined to curl with high cheekbones and a fast rolling walk. Imagine he chews tobacco freely and is about 28 years old. Oh, wow. So not to sound stereotypical, but he's also very hot tempered. And he's very sensitive to the, like, again, he's very sensitive to the prejudice. Oh, to the political climate. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, you know... Of the time. Yeah, because he feels the British have corrupted his homeland and he finds them very prominently here. Why him and his his people who have been ostracized from their country, they're, you know, expected to just work for right, their oppressors. Right, 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 So also, not to surprise anybody, has a bit of a drinking problem. And he's, no. And he's, yes. And very <laughs> often was known to make um, sexual advances to... A lot of the servant no. girls that he worked with. I know this is I true. don't believe this. This is hot tempered, drunk, and and <laughs> says all and the, no boundaries. Literally is like a cocktail of your perfect <laughs> criminal. <laughs> exactly. So according to newspaper accounts that were found in like the Daily News Herald, the Daily Times, and uh, some of the Long Island newspapers, Nicholas had a strong liking toward um uh, Miss Holland. So he was very aggressively pursuing her more than once, even though she rebuffed him. And Good girl. And it was at one point where he even proposed marriage to her, and she turned it down. <laughs> and it, Like, you, reject, you got rejected twice. What makes you think she's going to say yes to Yeah, so it's made even more complicated because a lot of the household and the field staff, they live in the same, like, section of the house. Okay. So, you know, you have the servants' quarters, which you have the Wickhams, you have the Ellen... You know, and then Nicholas, they're sharing a house with another Irish servant. Her name is Catherine Dowd. And then there's a 14-year-old African-American boy whose name was Stephen Winston. Um, yeah, Winston. I'm sorry. So, so, so there's a lot of players in this house. There's a lot of players. So basically, they're in one section of it. You have, the obviously, the, the master and mistress of the house. Mm-hmm. They're in another section of the house. It's a very big house. Right, 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 right. You know, so eventually... Ellen is enough with the harassment. And the real breaking point was when she found that $30, which would be essentially about $800 in today's money, oh, damn. went missing from her room. <gasps> she brings her complaints to Miss Wickham, who then she he doesn't take it very well because she gets involved. And, you right. know, it's like, why are you getting? Oh, my employer. You're now involving my employer. In a personal matter. Oh. Right. So, he, But you stole my money. Of course I'm going to involve the employer in right. the- <laughs> So, So Nicholas lets his temper get the best of him. So according to- Oh, the, Nicholas. There are a series of events here. And I'll go through each one, you know, as well as possible. Because as we know, murder does not just- You don't just wake up usually one day and say, Hi, I'm going I'm I'm to murder, murder you. you. 
I'm going to murder an entire household. Yeah, usually it takes some time to build up to yeah, that. <laughs> especially when you're hot-tempered. So and on drunk. May 27th, Nicholas, uh, there's an incident with him and Miss Wickham. She was carrying a mattress out of the house to air them out. At that time, there's no AC, so, you, you gotta, know. Yeah. He bumps into her um, very aggressively, and Ooh. he injures her a little bit, which <gasps> seals her fate. Ooh. Because, you know, a servant injuring the the lady of the house, that's unheard of. Oh, so snap. on the 28th, Mr. Wickham, who was on a business trip to New York, comes back. He's informed of the incident and all the related behavior, the the uh, sexual advances, the money missing and whatnot. And according to William Betts, who was a businessman who owned a store in town, who was a witness, Mr. Wickham fires Nicholas. Uh, a witness to him bumping her or no, witness to the, the firing? firing. The firing. Okay, okay. And then he is given... $2, which essentially is about $56 today for a train ticket to Brooklyn. Nicholas is given the $2. Yes. Okay. All remaining debts that he owed to other places in the area will be paid. Oh. And he's ordered off the farm. Oh. On May 31st, Nicholas returns to the farm and he demands to Mr. Wickham, to James, that he be rehired. He is refused. And his request to be given a horse to uh, leave with is also denied because he was reportedly very cruel to the animals on the premises. Oh, typical. Right. So Nicholas is also confirmed in the heat of this argument that he indeed did steal the $30 from Ellen. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, I stole your money, bitch. Exactly. So he was ordered off of the premises once again. So on June 1st, um, Nicholas returns to the Wickham Farm with a friend. He picks up his trunk, which contains any of his personal belongings, and with the help of said such friend, he carries the trunk to the train depot in Kachog so he can catch the train to Greenport. So Green, while waiting... Still he, in Long Island, Greenport? Yes, I believe okay, so. Okay, okay. And then he tells his friend while waiting that, quote-unquote, he wanted to have revenge upon Ellen Holland. Nicholas said in so many words that he intended to ravish <gasps> Ellen Holland. Ugh! So despite moving to a, a new boarding house, getting a new job, working in brickyards. Right. Like, so ungrateful, dude. Like, in, move in on. Yard, <laughs> he leaves his new home on the evening of June 2nd, and he decides to walk the rail. He walks the rail line, which is basically he walks the train tracks from Greenport to Kachog. So oh, it's man. basically about close to midnight before he arrives at the Wickham farmhouse. Okay. So... Now, there's a series of events that uh, this really great book by Jeffrey K. Fleming and Amy K. Folk, Murder on Long Island, they essentially detail the whole events of what happened. But as much as I could easily read those events, I actually mm-hmm. have something really interesting about my research this event. I actually found a first-person account from Nicholas Behem, who was convicted of um, these crimes murder. and executed for it, of the events that happened. Uh-huh. So, you know, so he he confessed, he confessed. He like explained his whole he went through the whole thing. Oh. He confessed everything in the hopes that his honesty would help grant him leniency. That's a nice hope. It's a very nice hope. So nice hope. You know, especially if, when you don't know how law works. <clears throat> so <laughs> don't confess. Y'all get an attorney. <laughs> so if if it's OK, I mean, I could actually read that, and you know, uh, if you want, uh, you know, I could try mimicking, <laughs> you know, a, a kind of a gravelly murder voice. 1800s. Yeah, you know. Speak. I mean, right. I'm not going to try doing, you know, an 1800s Irish accent because I feel like, 
in the middle of it, I'm just going to just kind of Keanu Reeves it. I'm like, here's my accent. And then in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, my accent's gone. <laughs> so, um, you know. Shout out to Keanu Reeves. Okay, shout out to Keanu Reeves. John Wick 3, y'all. John Wick 3, y'all. Just so, watched it. So, uh, so Danny, if you yeah. would mind. I feel yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Read do it. Think? Maybe don't do like an accent. No, I won't. But so. definitely, yeah. Read it okay. to us. Read it to us. <clears throat> so this is, these are an actual account from... Nicholas Behan of the events that happened uh, that night that he returned to the Wickham farm. So, all right. I took my trunk and belongings to the O'Connor home in Greenport on the day of the murders. After a hearty dinner, I headed for Kachog. I arrived at the Wickham house by 11. I got the post axe from the woodpile and got into the house through the window in the kitchen. I passed up into the garret where the boy slept, and I struck him three or four times over the head with the axe. I did not kill him, owing to the lowness of the roof which prevented my swinging the axe. Upon opening the door to the hallway, Miss Wickham called out, Who's that? And then stated, Nicholas, what are you doing here? What do you want? Mr. Wickham then sprang to the door, and I attempted to strike him with the axe. I then struck him in the mouth with my fist. Miss Wickham was crying out, Don't kill him, Nicholas. Take anything you want, but don't kill him. And in her struggles with me, she tore off part of my shirt. I struck Mr. Wickham several blows with the axe in the struggle. While I was striking Mr. Wickham, I observed that Miss Wickham was trying to get out of the window. I pulled her back and then finished her with the axe. Mr. Wickham got up three times, and I hit him several blows each time. I passed through the parlor and up the stairs of the main building to the servant girl's room, but found the door and window opened. Finding that they had escaped, I could find no way out of the house, so I was obliged to go through Mr. Wickham's room and through the window. I threw my axe and lamp out the window and then dropped out myself. I went back to Greenport. I got there at two in the morning and slept until daylight. I passed into the bushes and remained there during the day, and at night went to the house of Mr. Thompson, an Irishman, and asked for food and drink. Mr. Thompson said, You are the man that lived with the Wickhams. I replied, Yes. Mr. Thompson then stepped between me and the door and presented a gun to my breast. I drew a pistol and said, I have murdered one, and I'm not done yet. If you stop me, I will shoot you. I was able to jump out of the window and run into the woods. I then crossed the railroad bridge to get to New York on foot. It was then that I hailed and was ordered to stop by someone who snapped a gun or pistol at me. I turned and ran back into the woods again and was chased by two men. I laid down in the woods and stayed there until eight or nine on Sunday morning. On Sunday night, I made another attempt to go west toward the city and was shot at by three men. I went back into the woods and laid down. Monday, I saw people searching the woods but did not change my position. I laid still until they came within a few feet of me and I saw that they had discovered me. I then took a razor from my pocket and cut my throat. So, despite what you may have just heard, 
Nicholas indeed did not kill himself. He was very unsuccessful. This was like a superficial cut. Mm-hmm. It was a self-inflicted cut across his throat. In uh, he was basically found in a swampy area that we now know as the Peconic. Okay. So the day he was discovered, funny enough, there was actually well, actually, it's not funny enough. Tragically, there was a massive funeral for the Wickhams that was underway because both the the farmhand Stephen Winston died. He actually was the last one. The African American boy. Yes. Oh God. He died. Uh, Miss Wickham also perished. Mm-hmm. Mr. Wickham actually survived a little longer than her, but also perished. So mm. three people. Um, Ellen Holland and Catherine Dow were not harmed in any way. As you saw, they said we actually managed to slip out through the yeah, window. Yeah, he, he opens the door and the window's open. They're mm-hmm. not in there. So they, they slipped out. So they, they heard the commotion. Mm-hmm, they heard the, the, the murder. Oh, and uh, they ran to a neighbor's house oh. and uh, woke them up screaming that there was a murder happening at the Wickhams. Wow. So that's why so quickly um, you saw Nicholas Behan's, his murder spree was interrupted because... The neighbors surprised him. He didn't expect that people would respond so quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, essentially... Because uh, he's not thinking ahead. He's in, like, adrenaline mode. Exactly. So, okay. And it's funny enough, the uh, the funeral procession for the Wickhams was estimated at two miles in length due to hundreds of people who came to pay their respects. The Long Island wow. Railroad ran a special train just to bring people to the event. So they had their own train for the funeral. Wow. They must have been very influential people at the time or exactly. something like that. They, they, like these days, you have to be mm-hmm. like famous to get that. Exactly. So in October 1954, which is several months after the murders, Nicholas Behan goes on trial for the, the three mm-hmm. murders. Mm-hmm. At, uh, I believe it's in Riverhead, which I believe is in Long Island. Okay. So he was sentenced and convicted. Big shock. On December 11th, 1854, before a crowd of 3,000 people, it was one of the most attended public executions, ex- excuse me, executions in history. Wow. Nicholas was hanged in the yard of the Suffolk County Jail and buried in an unmarked grave. Oh, so he doesn't, ooh. Okay, so there's, first of all, there's like 3,000 people that want to see you dead. Yep. <laughs> first of all. And second mm-hmm. of all, you don't even get... The decency of having a grave marker. You're a murderer, you know, at this time. Yeah, but even murderers get grave markers. Yeah, but the thing being is, it's just for them, you know, it's a very, it's about, it's about showing the disrespect, you know. That's um, true. You know, people. You disrespected, so we disrespect also you. Also on top of it, he's, I hate to say it, he was an immigrant, you know. He doesn't probably even have so much they probably money for a tombstone. So he wouldn't get any much respect regardless. Yeah. So all of that being said. Uh, the house itself. Did uh, Miss Holland get her money back, though? No, <laughs> never got her money back. Although, fun story. Damn it. She, she ended up marrying a Daniel Haggerty and lived with her three children, Rose, Mary, and Francis, which I find it interesting that one of her daughters was named Francis, which was the name of her former mistress, yeah. Francis Wickham, who died. Oh, maybe that's sweet. Yeah. And they lived on a farm on Oregon Road in, in Kachog. So, oh, okay. So they also, okay. Yeah. So she would live on, uh, you know, and she passed away in 1901 at 82 years old. Wow. She lived a long life for exactly. that time. <laughs> so, so the interesting thing, so I guess bringing on to is that to this day, that house still stands. 
It's still being farmed and taken care of by descendants of Joseph Wickham. But he didn't have children. So, oh, no. So, like, family. Okay, got, like, nieces, nephews, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Okay. So, it still stands. But, and now coming on to, uh, you know, and some of you were like, but Drew, this is a true crime story. I was like, (laughs) yes, because. We're getting there, y'all. Yeah. But because uh, since such a horrible thing happened, um, there's a theory that when really terrible things happen, murders, uh, horrific battles, massacres and whatnot, it leaves an impression on things. And something like this, a grisly murder of three people in a house, it leaves an imprint on things, which leaves things to be, I guess, in some ways susceptible to spiritual presence. Mm-hmm. So for years, uh, residents have claimed that this historical household has been plagued with spirits. Uh, mm-hmm. One specific incident stands out in mind where Anne and John Wickham, uh, James's descendants, mm-hmm. uh, recalled waking up in the middle of the night Uh, like again in 1988, to see a dark figure standing over them. So So this is like almost like 100 years later or something something like that? that. So the point being is over 100 years later, a dark figure standing over them, most likely the spirit of Nicholas Bean, you know, kind of returning to do the job. Oh, or... Well, I mean, that's true. Yeah. Negative so, energy could have manifested. Itself. Other guests have reported that they heard footsteps, presuming again, Behan, coming up the second floor hall, which he would have after he supposedly executed Stephen Winston and then was going to continue the job. Okay. So they're hearing paying back. footsteps. Yeah. They hear the spiritual footsteps. So oh, wow. Annie and John sealed the room and nobody has entered or slept in it since. <laughs> So one time, y'all, that's it. There's no right. spirit. Oh, fuck that. Closing this off. Exactly. So another uh, another case was uh, where author and historian uh, Carrie Ann Flanagan Broski, she investigated the site for her book, Historical Haunts. Sorry. Historic Haunts of Long Island, Ghosts and Legends from the Gold Coast to Montauk Point, where she said that employees had told her slamming doors, moving shutters, as in a strong sense of being watched. Mm. These are all very common occurrences when supernatural um, instances. But they can't, like, see anything. They're just feeling no, it and just, hearing it's things. That, it's that feeling, like, we ever when you're going somewhere yeah, and, and you, you, someone, feel, you feel like someone's s- watching you yeah. you don't see it, but you have this creeping feeling. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in her words, she said, there was a sense by many it was the spirit of a woman. Since they did renovations on the house, it has calmed down. Many times construction can create activity if there is a ghost in the house. Mm -hmm. There's definitely energy there, nothing horrible or scary, just stuff that sensitive people may have picked up on. So upon interviewing another one of James Wickham's uh, ancestors, he said that things have really quieted down. Mm -hmm. So sometimes supernatural occurrences, these kind of things happen, especially with renovations. Uh, Spirits don't really like change. Mm -hmm. It interferes with the the original place. It's kind of like... Like how if you go to a place you used to live and you say they made changes, you kind of feel a little sad because you had memories there. Right. And it's so, different now. So you're right. like, mm. So what can I say? Some even in death, you're not a fan of change. <laughs> I so, don't like change. So, so it appears that if there is any sort of haunting there, it appears that it might have died down. Mm-hmm. But again, it's really hard because uh, from, I guess, certain experiences, spirits are sometimes very tethered. To this existence by these circumstances, how they died, or I guess in some sense that that metaphor of unfinished business. Right. So you know, it, we really not sure, but you know, especially when places of murder or massacre and whatnot, it's not surprising that there is some sort of spiritual essence. So my guess is, if you end up going there, 
you know, to see for yourself. I hear it's a very lovely place. It's still an authentically well-maintained historical um Oh, so it's like house. open to the public? From what I've heard, I okay. believe so. I mean, my advice is, again, if you're in uh, Long Island, you want to check it out. Yeah. Why not? You know, again. But do your research first just in case someone lives there. <laughs> you don't want to be like, well, hey, what up? Is this the murder exactly. house? So, <laughs> so, that's, uh, so that's my end. So I don't know. Danny, what do you think? I That is interesting. But I'm liking the fact that <laughs> he confessed like an idiot. I'm sorry, he's not an idiot. He was he was a horrible person um who felt like he was owed something by the world, which by the way, hashtag the world doesn't owe you anything. Um but I think it's weird how he just busted into the African American boy Winston Winston, right? Mm-hmm. He just busted into his room and instead of just going on his way, he's like, "All right, I'm just going to bash your head in." I feel like it's it, it, to me it just feels like, you know, he just wanted to complete the job, you know. He just, just wanted to kill everybody in that house. Yeah, it was it, it was a general revenge. It wasn't just to the Wickhams, it was also to everybody involved. It was oh, Ellen is it, the prize and mm-hmm. I'm going to stop anybody who I felt wronged me. You know, eat like the kid's crime was simply that he worked for the Wiccans. For the Wiccans, yeah. That's, that's it. all he yeah. And there's unfortunately not really much we know about him, you know. And it's just sad, again, because he was an innocent. He just, yeah. you know, it's the same thing like if Catherine Dowd had died. She was just a, another Irish worker just like him on the same farm. Right. She shared the room with Mary, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. With uh, with Ellen. With yeah. Ellen, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ellen, yeah. And, um... I mean, I felt extreme sympathy for all of them, especially Francis Wickham. It wasn't just, you know, your house being intruded. You also have this person who you knew, you know. You employed. Who who you employed, who hurt you at some point. You know, you're watching him beat your husband and then you're trying to to get some help or Mm. or I don't want to say save yourself in some way because, you know, uh, then you get murdered and then your husband watches your murderer finish off the one you love and then come back for you. Oh, God. You know, I can only imagine, and uh, I don't know if, if I said this before, but I believe the last things he was inquiring about was his wife before he perished. So, you know, it's a real tragic story. So, like, he went to the hospital, basically. No, he or... didn't. He, he didn't even. Oh, he didn't even make it. He was just like. When when they found the bodies. Oh, wow. He was asking about. He his... was asking oh, about the wife before so he slipped uh, into unconsciousness again. Oh, and, and he never woke God. up. This so is it, so horrible. It really was. And it's it. it. I mean, honestly, I had no idea. And, you know, I, I again, for me, like you, I was really surprised by doing the research. Like. You know, uh, like I said, the books that I referenced, they did a wonderful job of following the detail with historic events and dates and whatnot. It's really hard, especially because back in those days, there wasn't, you know, a Google. Yeah. So you have to really pour through a lot of old newspapers, which, again, you'd find at your local library or online. But there's no guarantee. And just just to hear it was just so sad, you know, but they did a great job like summarizing everything and really following it. The one thing that just surprised me is that there was this confession and it wasn't just like right? I did it. That's it so was, rare. It was literally a play-by-play. Like as I was reading it, I could see him, doing him just, just, you know, everything. Like, and it, it, it was so surreal. And I was just like, why would you just, why would you walk through the whole thing? 
I think I know. I think I can see why because in those times, if you're a farmhand, you're probably not educated. Mm -hmm. You probably don't know how to read. You probably Mm -hmm. don't even know how to write. Mm -hmm. So you don't really know how anything really works, especially like legal wise. Like if I do this crime and then like, so he probably thought they probably convinced him, the police officers, because, you know, you've seen that on like cop shows like, oh, just tell us the truth. We'll help you out. That's probably all the way back then they did that. And of course, that's just to trick you to confessing. Pretty much. Hashtag get a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's my story. So, I mean, Hopefully, I, I didn't mess up too many details. Again, this first time. So, you know, if I had... Yeah, yeah, if we have any listeners in Long Island who are familiar with this yeah. story, if you know anything, if you mm-hmm. have heard anything, if we missed anything, yeah, you know, tell us. Reach out to us. And uh, my apologies if I missaid anything or mispronounced things. I'm still getting getting used to names <laughs> and proper pronunciation. So, uh, you know... Especially Long Island stuff. Yeah. But, Y'all name things weird. Yeah, but... <laughs> So that's that. So that's the massacre slash haunting of the Wickham House. I mean, I gotta say, Danny, it was really interesting researching everything, and uh, you know, I just I found so many more other stories that we could always kind of come back to. Yeah, you know, like I think there was even one with a pirate ghost, which I would definitely come back to. Yeah, yeah, very Scooby Doo ish. How did we not? Yeah, right. How did we? How was that not our first one? Really? Um, I, I, you know, so <laughs> we're saving that for later. We want you guys hooked. So remember, pirate ghost is coming up. <laughs> uh, okay, so so that was me. So that. Well, was, I'm glad he got his just desserts. So, so that was you know the ghost stories, and now on to as she put it, murder. Murder. So all right, <laughs> I James. mean, yours was murder too. It's like. But I think every time I hear stories about hauntings, it's usually predicated by a horrible murder happening. Yeah. Oh, and that whole thing about, side note, y'all, that whole thing about moving the furniture house around and doing mm-hmm. construction. So I have a coworker, and she's from Jamaica, mm-hmm. or her family's from Jamaica. Sorry, mm-hmm. she's from England. Right. Um, and whenever someone passes away, you rearrange the furniture oh. of the house. Oh, that's interesting. To basically like dis- um not to like att- basically like to a- not to attract the person who lived there. like if the person died mm-hmm. is basically like to make them not want to stay there if their ghost is lingering be yeah. like okay, we moved stuff around. Oh, this isn't my house. Right. No, it's funny because like again like one of the other cases that I've been looking into uh spoiler for when we go to Staten Island Something like that, I've noticed it's very strong in one of my other cases, so we'll definitely get into that in episode two. Hashtag episode two coming, (laughs) y'all. So, all right, so I'm interested to see your story. Like, again, like, spoiler, everybody, I, this is my first podcast, and uh, Danny- (laughs) Lots of spoilers in this episode. Lots of spoilers here. But Danny uh, is a real true crimes uh, uh, aficionado. She's one of the many that I know. And uh, when she read this story, like, and I just hype you all, uh, she read this story. <laughs> I, could, hype man. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, again, that's the crazy thing about a lot of my stories and hers. These are true stories. This mm-hmm. isn't something that we just decided, hey, let's just make up this detail. And None of this together. is made up, y'all. No, this is all real. And when I, I heard this, I couldn't believe it. So, like, opened it up for you. So take it away, girl. So for anyone living in the Long Island area, sorry, but y'all had a serial killer in your midst. So I'm going to talk about Joel David Rifkin, who was a serial killer, which honestly, I need to find out the origins of the word serial because I keep thinking of like breakfast cereal. I'm like, <laughs> it's 
the worst. So Joel Rifkin was born January 20th, 1959. Mm-hmm. So... That has no bearing in this story other than to just tell you when he was born. Mm-hmm. But um, in 1994, he was sentenced to 203 years in prison for the murders of nine women between 1989 and 1993. So wow. his active period was mm-hmm. 89 to 93. Okay. So this is more recent, basically. Your story was in the 1800s. Yeah, mine. Mine was like, you know. All the people who had attended that funeral were are actually already in the ground. So, yeah. so this, so this was what is this it? This is recent. It says eighty nine to ninety three. So this is almost 30, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Like just wow. Like we're we're like we all know okay. this time. We've maybe grown up during this time. Maybe mm-hmm. some of us listeners have grown up in the areas where he hunted. Could have been potential victims ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what happened? So he's believed to have killed up to 17 victims in New York City and Long Island. Mm -hmm. And um, although he often hired sex workers in Brooklyn and Manhattan, Mm -hmm. he lived in East Meadow, which Mm -hmm. is apparently a suburban hamlet in Long Island. Okay. So if anyone lives in East Meadow, sorry. Mm -hmm. So his birth mother... And the reason we say birth mother is because he did not he was not raised by her. So he was adopted. So he was given up for adoption. Yeah. So his okay. birth mother was a twenty year old college student. Wow. No name given. I couldn't okay. find any information on her. And mm-hmm. then his biological father mm-hmm. was a twenty four year old college student and army veteran. Again, I couldn't find a name for him either. Right. So twenty year olds getting frisky. Mm-hmm. Typical. Right. So these these care people are essentially just footnotes in his horrid history. Yeah. Like he never he never met them. Mm-hmm. He never did anything with them. But okay. we're just basically, I guess, right. young college students. They didn't want to, I mm-hmm. guess, have an abortion. Right. So, so they just gave him up for adoption. Right. So he's put up for adoption. He's adopted by obviously two people. Yeah. At three weeks old. So uh-huh. literally like. In February, so it's a really cold month. He was adopted by an upper middle class Long Island couple. Okay. So his adoptive father is Benjamin Rifkin. Okay. He was of Jewish and Russian descent. Okay. He's a structural engineer. Oh, sorry, was a structural engineer. I'm sure okay. he's passed away by now. Mm-hmm. And he made plenty of money. He sat on the board of trustees uh, at the local library system. Okay. So he's basically like an influential person in okay. the area. All right. So his adoptive mother, um, Jean or Jean, um, mm-hmm. G A E A N N. I'm sorry, G E A N N E. It's like G Ann. Um, her maiden name is Grinnells. Okay. Uh, she's of Spanish descent, um, but mm-hmm. she converted to Judaism when she married um, Benjamin Rifkin. Mm-hmm. So they adopt him, mm-hmm. and Joel has trouble fitting into his school life. Okay. He has a slumping posture and slow gait, which Mm -hmm. made him a target for bullies. Right. Kids gave him the nickname Turtle because of his slow walk and stooped posture, which honestly, like, turtles aren't that bad, but... No, but when you're when you're a kid who's bullied, yeah. you know, any nickname... Any nickname is horrible. And this is the 90s. Back in the day, when you called somebody an an idiot, that was like the F word. That was like, yeah, exactly. Like... So, no, this is actually before the 90s because this is like... This is 70s, 80s. 70s, 
yeah, 60s, 70s, basically. Oh, yeah. He, this is his school life. So. This is pretty bad. Ugh. And turtles are really cute. So, like, why are you doing this to this kid? Because kids are cruel. So, but. Hashtag con- kids are cruel. Continue. So, and not only did they give him this um, nickname, um, they also excluded him from sports activities. Oof. On top of everything, mm-hmm. academically, he struggled because he had dyslexia, okay. which at the time I don't think was very well, well known or well treated Absolutely. or even like noticed as frequently. No. Thank you, modern medicine. So um, what you're saying is we have a child who is already adopted, who is dealing with being frequently bullied, mm-hmm. and he also has an undiagnosed learning disability, mm-hmm. which he's not getting the proper help, mm-hmm. or I, I hate to say it like this, but treatment for. It's not really something you get treated, but, you know, something yeah. to help him cope yeah. the, and they, learn they, well. they basically couldn't get him help because no one knows that he's struggling with right. this. So essentially you have the, the makings of an outsider. We have a concoction. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so because because of this learning disability and because he's not getting help for it, his peers just assumed that he's stupid. He lacks intelligence, it says here. Right. But that's obviously not the case because right. Joel actually had an IQ of 128. Wow. So he's not an idiot. It's just he has an undiagnosed learning disability. Okay. So he was considered to be an annoying introvert. Okay. And there were no attempts made from any of his friends to coax him out of the house unless... It was to pull a mean prank, mm. including hitting him with eggs, oh, pulling no. down his pants with girls around to see, oh, man. or stereotypically submerging his head into a school toilet. Like how, like, it, it, pulling this out of the story, this is where those movies get those ideas from. If y'all are like, oh, this is so stupid, no one does this. People did this. Mm-hmm. Listeners. Okay. okay. So the abuse, of course, took its toll, mm-hmm. and he began avoiding other students mm-hmm. by showing up late to class and also being the last to leave the school. So oh, he'd okay. wait for everyone to leave and like mm-hmm. when it's safe. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he mm-hmm. spent much of his time isolated and alone in his bedroom, Okay, which is also not a very That's good a, thing. There's a lot of red flags here. Yeah. So there is when he began to entertain himself with violent sexual fantasies that had been brewing inside him for years. So where we are now, would you say teenager? Probably. Are are we talking teenager? Yeah. Young teenager? Because I don't really see a kid. This isn't. This is like sexual fantasies. Yeah. No. This is a kid growing into like this is high school age at this point because he's like isolated because. When you're younger, you try to still make friends. Right. By the time you're a teenager, things have already settled in. People right. have their groups you're, of friends. Right. So at this point, he's in high school. Elements of your personality are already established. Yes. It's nothing still isn't concrete, but you're fairly, you're you're fairly on the way of being set in your ways. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And also, this is when you start exploring sexually with things. It's true. Mm-hmm. So even in non-sports activities in high school, his peers tortured him psychologically. So. Okay. For an example is Joel enjoyed photography, and with the new camera given to him by his parents, Mm -hmm. he decided to join the yearbook committee. Okay. One of his jobs was to submit pictures of the graduating students and activities that were going on at school. Okay. However, of course, course. like so many of Joel's attempts to find acceptance among his peers, this idea also failed after his camera was stolen immediately after joining the group. Oh, wow. 
So the mistreatment and isolation eventually wore on him. He began retreating to his own disturbed little world. Hashtag mm-hmm. strange little world. Funny. Continue. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. This is getting really serious, and I'm just trying not to get really sad. <laughs> pat, 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 pat. Pat me on the shoulder. It's okay. Deep breath. You got this. (laughs) So he started having daydreams about raping and stabbing women. Now, I don't know how we know this information. Um, Probably he divulged this to like an interviewer or or some sort of psychiatrist. Right. Um, But in 1972, inspired by the Alfred Hitchcock film Frenzy, Joel became fixated on the idea of strangling prostitutes. Okay. So around this same time, his parents gave him a car and he started using the vehicle to troll for prostitutes in nearby Hempstead and later on in Manhattan. Okay. So he lives in East Meadow. Hempstead is somewhere nearby. Okay. So this is... And he'd go to Manhattan also. This is the 70s, 80s? Where This is now... Seven, like early 70s. So he watched okay. the movie Frenzy. No, I, I yeah. Yeah, okay. No, I, I get that. So what I'm saying is, so what you're thinking is like Manhattan, you're thinking like Old Times Square, which as we remember was very yes. different. Yes, so that's right, that's right. Yeah, you because know, like basically what we're thinking of is a New York that like you saw in Taxi Driver. It's very dingy. You, you see prostitutes mm-hmm. and pimps. You know, there's drug dealers, all this stuff. It is not a pleasant place. It's not yeah. the tourist attraction it is now. Yeah, anyone this who's is... thinking of that right now, like Times Square today, don't think of that. That's not it. Right. This is like drugs, prostitutes, like grimy. Like if you have children, you would never go there. Basically. Yeah, you would You would essentially avoid that like uh, a plague. So, yes. So basically what you have is we have this person who's, again, slipping more and more into these violent sexual fantasies exactly. is looking for the outlet to finally coping. express them. Yeah, he's coping with the inability to basically connect with any friends of his, right. any friends at all. Right. And he's just dealing with the world around him. So instead of dealing with the world around him, he's coping with it by mm-hmm. looking for prostitutes. Great. Mm-hmm. You were saying. Anyway. Joel, so girl, Joel, so he's he's has the car. He's doing all this uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. He finally graduates high school. He graduated um, East Meadow High School in mm-hmm. 1977. So this is late 70s now. Okay. And his passion for prostitutes would increase as he entered Nassau Community College oh, in the wow. same year. Okay. So he frequently skipped classes though. He's going. He's going to college, but he's skipping classes. Okay. Rarely showed up to any of his part-time jobs, and instead he preferred to spend time with prostitutes, mm-hmm. which I think is his way of trying to find some sort of love in this world. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm kind of curious if he's doing horrible at these jobs. Is he probably tapping into some sort of inheritance or whatnot? Because you know, where is he getting the money for all his of parents? This? Yeah. Yeah, because, um, oh, sorry, it's actually my next point. Mm-hmm. So his little obsession, it's actually not a little obsession. I don't know why I just said that. Um, his obsession drained him of what little money he had, mm-hmm. so causing him to move back in with his parents. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry, move in and out of his parents' house throughout uh-huh. the 80s. Okay. So I guess he would move out when he'd get a job and then move in when he'd lose it, I guess. Um he also bounced, f- so he didn't last in Nassau Community College, by the way. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he bounced from college to college because mm-hmm. he constantly earned poor grades mm-hmm. until he finally dropped out in 1984. Okay. So 77 is when he first entered, and then 84, he's like, all right, forget this. Okay. In 1986, okay. two years later, okay. his father, Ben Rifkin, his adoptive father, was diagnosed with cancer. Okay. And then the following year, he committed suicide. Now, his father. The father, yeah, adoptive okay. father. He was diagnosed and then committed suicide. Jeez. So Joel eventually ran out of money completely. And in 1989, his frenzied and violent thoughts boiled over. Okay. Like a calculated and cold-blooded killer, he waited for his mother to leave on a business trip before murdering his first victim. Oh, wow. He picked up a young prostitute called Susie, but her real name is actually... Her real name was, was. actually, right. sorry, people, mm-hmm. Heidi Balk. Okay. Or Balch. Um, she was 25 years old. Wow. He brought her back to his Long Island home and bludgeoned her to death with a howitzer artillery shell, wow. which is used in military tanks. Yeah. Wow. When she didn't die mm-hmm. he and continued to struggle, he strangled her to death. Like, how, how, like, first of all, someone's using a fucking tank shell to beat you. Right. You live. And then you get strangled. And then you get strangled. Like, that's a horrible. Wow. I mean, all death to me sounds horrible, but it's just. Okay. After she died, he dismembered her body with an X-Acto knife, removed her teeth and fingerprints. Okay. So he seems to know enough. Yeah. About murder with that. Mm-hmm. Put her head in a paint can and left it in the woods of a golf course in Hopewell, New Jersey. So wow. he's he's he seems to know. He's planned. Like, yeah, like how plan. murder seems to go down and how investigate. He seems to like somehow know this. Yeah, he's he, this isn't this isn't just something that he just did on a whim. He planned. No, he this. planned this. And this yeah. is like, you know, Hopewell, New Jersey far away from East Meadow. Right. Far away from where he picked her up, you right. know. Okay. Um her legs he put f- further north of Hopewell. So she, so her head is in a paint can on a golf course. Her legs are somewhere north of Hopewell. Okay. He dumped her remaining torso and arms into the East River. Oh wow. Around um, New York City. Jeez. So a member of the Hopewell Valley Golf Club found the paint can containing her head, Heidi's head, right. a few days later. But police were unable to uncover her identity or who was responsible for the murder. Right. They just found a head. Remember, she has no teeth. teeth. Right. Exactly. So Heidi's remains were not identified until 2013, 19 years after Joel was convicted. Wow. Okay. So, and I have a little note to myself here that very little information can be found about Heidi. Like, I tried to look about her, mm-hmm. like, about her pat, and, like, Nothing. I couldn't find anything. She's a ghost. She's a murder victim at this point, yeah. which is horrible. Like she was a person. She had family and exactly. Such. But unfortunately, again, they weren't really great about a lot of those details went on the eighties. No, so weren't. you know, no. and and as you saw, this, especially if you're working as a prostitute, no one cares about. Well, also, you. on top of it, you know, you have someone who's very methodical. You know, mm-hmm. so he was very detailed, you know, about mm-hmm. this. So I again, as you said, that this was the first one and very rarely, as I've seen, you know, just generally uh, upon doing some research, 
you know, forensics class mm-hmm. and just common sense. It's never one. Mm-mm. So Mm-mm. what happened next? So that seemed to satiate him for about a year. Okay. Until 1990, until Joel again waited until his mother was out of town. So he's planning this. Mom has to be out of town. Right. He took his next victim, Julie Elizabeth Blackbird. Okay. So Julie was born on March. I found some information on Julie, actually. She was born on March 29, 1961 in Texas. And she moved to New York in search of career opportunities. She was like 28 or 29. It's a little like shady because we're not really sure when exactly he murdered her. Uh Um, But she was around 28 or 29. So he, he beat her with a table leg before strangling her to death. So that seems to be his M.O., his right. beating and then strangling. So he cut up her body as well. Mm-hmm. He put body part her body parts in buckets and then covered them with concrete before lowering the buckets into the New York's um, East River. Okay. And her remains have actually never been found. So in 1991, mm-hmm. so, um, another year later, I guess, right. or maybe a few months later, depending on when this happened. Right. Uh, he started his own landscaping business, okay. which he also began using to stash corpses until he could, quote unquote, properly dispose of them. So he's using, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. His company failed that same year and he was in debt. He managed to get a few part time jobs, which he often lost because the jobs interfered with what he enjoyed most, um, quote, Strangling prostitutes. Mm. By the summer of 1993, Joel had killed 17 women who he would later tell police were prostitutes. Okay. Just just prostitutes. Right. It's a big deal. So the list of his victims are... Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. We're, we're going to go down each right. one of them. Okay. Barbara Jacobs. Mm-hmm. She's age 31. She was killed July 14, 1991. Her body was found inside a plastic bag that had been placed into a cardboard box and put into the Hudson River. Mary Ellen DeLuca, age 22, killed in September 1991 because she complained about having sex after Joel bought her cocaine. Okay. That doesn't, there was no information about what happened with her body, but. Okay. But that's why he killed that one. Mm-hmm. Yun Lee, age 31, killed in September 23rd, 1991. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm sorry. Mary Ellen was killed September 1st, 1991. Yun Lee is killed September 23rd, 1991. Mm-hmm. She was strangled to death, and her body was also put into the East River. Right. We have Jane Doe, number one, mm-hmm. still unidentified. She was killed in early December of 1991. Okay. Joel strangled her during sex put her body into a 55-gallon oil drum, dumped her into the East River. Wow. Lorraine Orviedo, age 28, and a former accountant, uh, was prostituting in Bay Shore, Long Island, when Joel picked her up and mm-hmm. strangled her during sex. Mm-hmm. He disposed of her body by placing her into an oil drum mm-hmm. and into uh, the Coney Island River, where she was discovered months later. Wow. So he's... We see his pattern, rivers, strangling, 
oil drums and rivers. Mm-hmm. Mary Ann Holloman, age 39, she was a seamstress, uh, was killed January 2nd, 1992. Her body was found the following July, mm-hmm. stuffed into an oil drum in Coley Island Creek. Wow. Iris Sanchez, age 25, mm-hmm. killed on Mother's Day weekend, wow. May 10th, 1992. Joel put her body under an old mattress in an illegal dump area located near the JFK International Airport. Wow. Anna Lopez, age 33, and the mother of three children, was wow. strangled to death on May 25th, 1992. Mm-hmm. He disposed of her body along I-84 in Putnam County, um, if anyone's familiar with that area, Interstate 84. Jane Doe number 2 mm-hmm. was murdered midwinter 1991, but on May 13th, 1992... Parts of her body were found inside an oil drum floating in Newton Creek in Brooklyn, New York. Wow. Violet O'Neill, age 21, and mother to a six-year-old boy, was killed in June 1992 at Joel's mother's home. There, he dismembered her in the bathtub, wrapped the body parts in plastic, and disposed of her in rivers and canals in New York City. Her torso was found floating in the Hudson River, and days later... Other parts were found inside of a suitcase. Mary Catherine Williams. Like, these are people. Mothers, some of them. Yeah. Daughters, yeah, all but, of them. But you have to remember, to him, he didn't see them as people. He didn't see them as people. He they're just saw them as victims. Prostitutes. Yeah. They no, were, they're, they're not even victims. They're just prostitutes. Well, yeah, they're nobodies. It's the same. It's. I mean, not to draw comparisons, but it's the same thing. I feel like a lot of people theorize Jack the Ripper saw yeah. When he was killing his victims, these were prostitutes. These yeah. weren't people. They're nobodies. You know, it's it's easier it's to see them as not human mm-hmm. because of what they did. Mm-hmm. It's a convenient strategy. It's a, the more you dehumanize them, it's the easier your rationalization for murder. Because yeah. if you start thinking them as people then with not. emotions and feelings, yeah, you it's it's complexes. The more you the more you strip away the layers, the easier it is to think of them in a certain way, the easier it is to do what you want. Yeah. 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 But you were saying. Um, we have five more victims. Mm-hmm. Bear with me, everyone. So sorry. Um, Mary Catherine Williams, who was aged 31, she moved to New York City from North Carolina in search of an acting career and was killed at Joel's mother's home in October 2nd, 1992. Her remains were found in Yorktown, New York, the following December. Jenny Soto, age 23, the youngest of three children. So, like, all the information about who they were is me digging in to find them. Like, I, mm-hmm. like, would search who they were. Yeah. And that's literally all I found for all of them. Okay. Like, there was so little information yeah. on any of them. You're doing good. Um, no, it's just it's just so sad that there was so little information. Like, these were people, like, know. you know. Um, so Jenny Soto, um, the youngest of three children, whose father was stabbed in a Brooklyn subway station just months before she was born. She was strangled to death on November 16, 1992, and her body was found the following day floating in the Harlem River in New York City. Leah Evans, age 28 and mother of two children, was killed on February 27, 1993. That's, that's Drew's water. <laughs> Keep going. From 
Um, she was killed, okay, February 27, 1993. Rifkin buried the corpse in the woods on Long Island, mm-hmm. and her body was discovered three months later. Lauren Marquez, age 28, the mother of two children, was killed on April 2nd, 1993. Her body was left in the Pine Barrens in Suffolk County, New York, on Long Island. And Tiffany Breschiani, age 22, was an aspiring actress and was Joel Rifkin's final victim. On June 24th, 1993, he strangled her and put her body in his mother's garage for three smoldering days before getting the opportunity to dispose of her. Now, here's the story with Tiffany. Around 3 a.m. on Monday, June 28th, 1993, Mm -hmm. Joel swabbed his nose with Noxzema so he could tolerate the pungent odor coming from her corpse, Mm -hmm. Tiffany's corpse. Mm -hmm. He placed her in the bed of his truck and Mm -hmm. got on Southern State Highway, headed south, to Melville's Republic Airport, which I'm not sure still exists. And that's that's where he planned to dispose of Tiffany's body. Mm-hmm. In the area were state troopers, Deborah Spargarin and Sean Ruain, who noticed Joel's truck did not have a license plate. They just like they just happened to be patrolling, you know, and they're like, "Oh, you know, the same thing happened." You know, this reminds you of. Do you remember that scene in Fargo? No. They were disposing the body, oh. and because they didn't have the proper license plate, that's why the trooper pulled them over. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Spoilers to anyone who hasn't seen Fargo. Fargo the movie, okay. <laughs> but no, it's the similar. It's 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 the that a lot of. Things like this happen because technicalities. Yeah, exactly. Like people have been pulled over for speeding tickets. You know, like oh, you were speeding or something or like a that. Broken light. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, some of the greatest criminal cases. I remember, no one ever convicted Al Capone of murder, but they got him on tax evasion. That's true. That's so, true. All right, true. but so these people saw he didn't have. So the these proper... two, yeah, these two state troopers, they they see the truck without a license plate, and they attempt to pull him over, mm-hmm. but he ignored them and kept driving. Which is like, mm, strike one. Hello. So the officers then used their siren and a loudspeaker, but still he refused to pull over. Then, just as the officers were requesting backup, Joel tried to correct a missed turn and went straight into a utility light pole. But he was unhurt. Like, (laughs) adrenaline. (laughs) That or God's like, no, you're going to serve your punishment Uh, for this. Yeah, yeah. Unhurt, um, Joel emerged from the truck and was promptly placed in handcuffs. Mm -hmm. Both officers quickly realized why the driver had not pulled over as the distinct odor of a decaying corpse permeated the air. So this is like the summer, June, you know, end of June. Very hot. The body was sitting in his mom's garage for like three days. So So it's it's horrible. And they're officers. They know what a decaying body smells like. Right. So... So Tiffany's body was found, and while questioning Joel, he casually explained that she was a prostitute and he had paid to have sex with her. Then things went bad and he killed her and that he was headed to the airport so that he could get rid of the body. Then he asked the officers if he needed a lawyer. So we have, in both of our cases, people who freely admitted... Freely admitted to what they did. did. 
And with absolutely no realization. But here's the thing. He's saying this because she's a prostitute. Well, yeah, I just paid her to have sex, but I killed her. I killed her. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to dump her body. Okay. And like. (laughs) Obviously, they didn't just say, it's okay. It's okay, Rifkin. And send him (laughs) off. Yeah, we'll just let you go. Yeah, no. That's not how these things work. Ever. So he was obviously arrested. He was taken to police headquarters in Hempstead, New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And after a short period of questioning by detectives, he began to reveal that the body they discovered was just the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. And then he offered up the number 17. Okay. He described all 17 murders, writing out the names he remembered and even sketching maps to help police find those victims still missing. The next day, Joel appeared before a judge with the plea of not guilty. I'm sure that was thanks to his lawyer. Yeah. He transferred to the Nassau County Correctional Facility in East Meadow to prepare to stand trial. Okay. So on May 9th, 1994, Mm -hmm. Joel Rifkin was sentenced to 25 years to life for murder, as well as reckless endangerment for leading police officer on a car chase. (laughs) Icing on the cake. Just, just add that on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was transferred to Suffolk County Jail shortly after the trial, where he pleaded guilty to two more counts of murder, mm-hmm. receiving two more consecutive terms of 25 years to life in prison. Mm-hmm. Then by January 1996, mm-hmm. that's two years later, mm-hmm. Joel was scheduled to serve at least 183 years for seven slayings, with 10 counts outstanding. In early 1994, it was reported that Joel had engaged in a jailhouse scuffle with mass murderer Colin Ferguson, whom I will get into in another episode. Okay. Um, the brawl began when Colin asked Joel to be quiet while Colin was using the prison phone. Okay. So the New York Daily News reported the fight escalated after Colin told Joel, I killed six devils and you only killed women, to which Joel responded, yeah, but I had more victims. Colin then punched Joel. Like, like this is what we're arguing about in prison. <laughs> like, what well, we're gonna ignore this 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 pissing contest for later. For uh, yeah. So prison officials decided in 1996 that Joel was so notorious that his presence in the general prison population could be disruptive. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Mm-hmm. He was confined to his cell at Attica Correctional Facility for 23 hours a day. Wow. He spent more than four years in solitary confinement before being transferred to the Clinton Correctional Facility in Clinton County. And I don't actually know where that county is. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2000, Joel attempted to sue the prison for violating his constitutional rights, saying that he should not be placed in solitary confinement. The court ruled in favor of the prison, determining that prison officials had not violated his constitutional rights by housing him in isolation. His lawsuit sought $50,000 for each of his 1,540 days in solitary confinement, which would have totaled $77 million. He was suing the prison for $77 million. Had he received any money... It would have been subject to state laws that earmark most of the award for the families of his victims. Yeah, of course. So, corrections officials, excuse me, corrections officials 
say that Joel is now imprisoned with more than 200 other inmates in Clinton who are not allowed into general prison. Like, basically, they're all yeah. people who can't be in general population. Right. I'm assuming that includes people like um, child molesters or, you know, rapists or something like that. And other murderers like him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, in 2002... New York's Supreme Court rejected Rifkin's appeal of his convictions for the murder of nine women. So, Joel Rifkin now is serving a total of 203 years in the Clinton Correctional Facility. Mm -hmm. He will be eligible for parole in 2197 at the ripe old age of 238. Good luck. Good for him. But that's actually the I'm not surprised. I'm sorry to summarize. Actually, I'm not summarizing. I'm not surprised that he revealed what he had done because in doing studying serial killers and stuff, they want they want people to know what yeah, they've done. They, they feel they want the notoriety. Well, I think also a lot of it is, is that unfortunately a downsize to a lot of media and whatnot is that serial killers tend to be almost become martyrs. Mm -hmm. They become celebrities. Yes. And I feel like the best analogy you can see is uh, with something that was very popular, a movie that kind of satirized that which was natural born killers. I and mean, if you've ever seen that movie, in, it's a satire. Well, like a, it wasn't really a satire. It was very well. It was, sorry, um, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, basically, it was about these two serial killers. They're a couple, and their their exploits of just murder and mayhem and such um, become the subject of media. Oh. It's almost like the media. They become media darlings. Wow. And it's just which uh, happens. Which happens even. Yeah. And in it, real world. Right. And it's just. I think again. You know, I, I may have used the movie as an incorrect analogy. There was a lot of controversy about it. It's a very violent movie. It's an, oh. It was an Oliver Stone movie. So oh, okay. Very violent. Gotcha. Um, but the thing being well, is that they, like you see this, like a lot of serial killers especially end up being the basis for a lot of horror movie characters, a lot of serial killers in movies and whatnot. Yes. Um, you know, so they end up having fans and notoriety. I mean, you know, you even have cases... I think I've heard where serial killers can get tattooed on people's bodies. Oh my god! You know, and I'm not saying like, like why would you do that? But, well, but because some people, I will always idolize the wrong people. I mean, you have to remember, yes, we 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 are in a world where monsters scare and fascinate us because we want to understand why. That's true. How could you do this? You mm -hmm. know, because again, we're fascinated. It's it's basically like. It's like when you were a kid, you're always scared of a boogeyman. Mm -hmm. You know, the dark place down Baba on the Yaga. stairs, the Baba Yaga of, of whatnot. And then once you find out what it is and confront it, it's nothing. It's like, for example, do you remember Home Alone? Yes. You remember how Kevin is afraid of the of the furnace down in the basement? Yes. He thinks it's a scary thing. And right. then once he just sees it's a furnace and tries to do a thing, he just tells it to shut up and then it... It just, yeah. It stops. Yeah. It's the same thing. But serial killers are not. These are these are things that, these are real things. This mm -hmm. isn't just something our mind is fabricating because we're afraid. Yeah, no, it's these a real These are real person. people. Yeah. You know, and this guy got into a fight with someone who's, who's just as bad as him, who's in prison because they're, they are comparing each other. Mm-hmm. You competitive. Know, the, they're 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 actually competitive because they don't see people. It's it's um 
That's not, true. It's notches. Yeah. It's notches on a belt. Yeah. Like, you know, like you hunters. S- with right. Like you animals, said it that yeah. one that one guy said I killed. What was it seven devils? You just yeah, killed women. You just killed women. Yeah. He's like, yeah, but I killed 16. It's like, what? Yeah, it's just numbers to them. Yeah, right. you're right. You're and, right. And it's it's so they si- don't care. Yeah, they and, don't see it, people. And you you could feel bad for him because of his horrible childhood and upbringing and whatnot. But you know he could have gone against that. He could have tried harder, which people do all the time. Right. I mean that's the thing. Personally, I always uh, feel a little questionable about. We're in a day and age where I feel like people. A lot of people have problems. Everyone has problems. Everybody has, mm-hmm. has issues, learning disabilities, um, you know, psychological issues and whatnot. And a lot of it is explained and sometimes it can't be. Some of it is hereditary. Mm-hmm. Some of it isn't. Some of it is is some of it just comes down to choice. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not saying that, you know, like there's this horrible misconception that people think that mental disabilities or whatnot are something that people just grows out of. Like it's a phase, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. emo was a phase. Okay? Right, right. Yeah. Goth, uh, you know, go, you know stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, thing like that. Like P, some people grow out of it because they, they change. Some people, that's who they are. Yes. You yes. know, and I get that. But. That is not a justification. Like he couldn't use that justification why he turned out such mm-hmm. a monster. Mm-hmm. Yes, that didn't help, but he made the choice yes. to take his fantasies and make them a reality. You said yep. it himself. He willingly admitted to what he did and mm-hmm. saw nothing wrong with it because the person he murdered and left to rot in a garage for three days was a prostitute and because she was a prostitute she meant nothing mm-hmm. and that is exactly why he is where he belongs i also think that in my opinion no i agree i agree and i think that also the media at the time didn't really help with that no. they they actually encouraged that kind of mentality toward drug users and prostitutes and stuff like that you're seeing basically because i couldn't find any information on the women right right a lot of the articles about him from the time Mm -hmm. when they spoke about the victims yeah they mentioned them in like a like a blase way like they were prostitutes right and they would mention the word prostitute in like a negative context so when you are this kind of like mm, angry with the world i'm about to take my revenge on everything that's happened to me and you're seeing this kind of in the media encouragement that these people aren't people well there's my targets right there they're not people anyway right no one's gonna miss them it's the same way that people who like you see this with people who you know they mutilate and they butcher animals yeah you know they're They're just just animals animals. it's it's a dog i ran it over with my car who cares so it doesn't have a soul yeah and that's and that, but that's again like I have expected when you were describing his childhood. I was like, I guarantee he's the kind of guy who would like, you know, some serial killers. I know they they would like pull apart bugs or animals yeah. that they had just to just to yeah. you know just to torture. Just, yeah, you were expecting the animal aspect. I was expecting that too. I couldn't find anything. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's there. He probably didn't mention it. But again, but you, it wasn't even that. Is that you mentioned the violent fantasies? And mm-hmm. again, you know, that's. There were a lot of red flags. So it really, when you explained it, a lot of things to me made sense. But again, he took the first step. Exactly. And that's exactly the thing being is that, you know, could it could it have been different? It could have been different for either of our cases, mm-hmm. Nicholas Behan 
or uh, Joel Rifkin. Joel yeah. Rifkin. It could have been different for either of them. They but they let their demons manifest and do these horrible things. And I think in some way that's why they confessed because they were like, listen, I did what I did. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have and you can you can sense with Nicholas Behem, he thought he was right. That's the thing I always remind people about, you know, villains. People just wake up and decide they're evil. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people are just wired that way. It, yeah, because of some, how they were raised and a lot or of the times, whatever, yeah. Quote, unquote, are villains. We see this in especially movies and whatnot. They don't think what they're doing is wrong. Yeah, they think they're doing a favor or, or they're doing right. a good thing. Or even worse, they think they're the hero. Yes. And that's the important thing is that evil is always interpretive of the story. Mm-hmm. And of who's telling the story. Yeah. So that's the important thing. That's how you notice in certain things that people, that's how when we see people vilifying, you know, monsters, people we view as monsters and, and madmen and whatnot, to them, we, we, we see them as monsters. To them, they're heroes. That's true. So. He probably thought he was doing the world a favor. I'm just getting rid of prostitutes. What, what do you care? So, well, I think is, what do you think? You want to call that? <sighs> This is super sad. I know. I, we need I, to have like a happy story at the end of this. I wish we could. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't know if you saw. I actually think I had a little tear kind of come I'm when so you were sorry. just going over. The list. The list. Because, oh, God. Like, because it's one thing when you hear, you know, just concluding thoughts. You know, when you hear that these are real people, that's the thing. It's one thing if you're watching a movie and it's based on like fictional events. Because this is just something of a person's imagination. These are real people. Like my people... In my mm-hmm. story, were real. Mm-hmm. Their deaths are real. There are graves. I'm not sure if they're still there. This was like almost 200 something years ago. Yeah. They're real. Like yours, they were real people. Yeah, there were some that were Jane Doe's. We don't know, but they were real people. Yes. You know, my guy was was hanged and buried. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, yours is still, if I'm acknowledged, still possibly alive. Um. Yeah, he's still alive. Still alive. You know, and he, uh, if we, if we met him, I guarantee he would still say he did nothing wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, I mean, we're not going to because there is no amount of uh, junk food and, and beer that could probably make us feel better any better looking this, at, yeah. at straight up evil. And I think our world is better for that. Um, so I guess if anything, you know, it's a strange little world. It is a strange little world. So, well, that much pretty wraps it up. I'm going to leave soon and reevaluate my feelings there could be ice cream involved but i'm trying to be healthy so most likely not uh so that's a that's all the darkness i have in my soul how do you feel uh, i feel pretty dark yeah pretty it's, dark whew, wow i need some light I need to go uh, outside know, get some I, of that sun i, I, I think i literally I, I i have no words i feel like i would literally i feel like i want a ferris bueller into the pool outside right now like, I just, I just, it's a really just nice need... day out. And I just want to remember that humanity can still be good. Yeah. Um, yeah, these are heavy topics. I feel like the only way this could be better if I decided that I was going to go to see Brightburn in theater. You know, oh, that, no, evil I don't, I don't su- wanna... no, that no. evil Superman movie. No, I'm movie. good. I'm good. I feel like I would literally be like, there's so much darkness. Let me see the greatest <laughs> hero of the world go evil. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good. You're good. I'm good. Okay, well, so everybody, that's pretty much it. So we hope you enjoyed this trip into the strange little world that is Long Island. We'll see you next time. And uh, I guess, as they say, keep it weird, keep it schmexy, and uh, be good, for goodness sake. And thanks for listening. Later. Ciao. 
Hey guys, you can follow us on all the social medias.、Uh, we have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All of the handles are at SLW Podcast. And you can email us at strangelittleworlds at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to hear your feedback. <laughs>